Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. I am here at the OpenAI offices, and I am with Dario Amade. Dario is a team lead for the safety research team here at OpenAI. Dario, welcome to the show. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. It's great to have you on. So why don't we get started by having you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got interested in AI and AI safety in particular? Yeah. So so actually, my, my background was in computational neuroscience. I did a PhD in kind of biophysics and computational neuroscience have always been interested in AI and, you know, how, how intelligence works. But, you know, I felt like, you know, a lot of, a lot of our AI systems, you know, t- 10 years ago weren't, weren't working that well. And so, you know, I decided I wanted to study the brain. And then, then, of course, the deep learning revolution came around and, you know, I looked at it and I said, oh, these systems are actually starting to work. I, you know, I, I want to, I want to be part of this. This now seems like the most interesting thing. So I, I, I ended up working in Andrew Ng's group at Baidu for about a year. And then, then I worked at Google for about a year, did, did kind of a variety of stuff, you know, speech recognition, natural language processing. And then, then I came here. And, and the way I got into AI safety was, you know, one of the things I kind of noticed about neural nets is, you know, there's this mixture of they're very powerful, but they can be very opaque and unreliable. So when I was developing speech recognition systems, you know, you train a system with, you know, an American accent and then it hasn't been trained in any British accented speech. You give it some British accented speech and it gets, gets kind of t- totally confused. So this, this mixture of power, opacity, and kind of very unpredictable failures and weakness, you know, is kind of what made me think that, you know, we need to be careful to make sure that these technologies do, do what we want them to do and don't, don't do something unpredictable or even dangerous. Mm, nice, nice. So maybe we can get started by having you give us a little overview of kind of the research that you've been working on, like a, you know, the broad brushstroke overview of the research that you've been taking on. Yeah, sure. So I would say there's kind of two general areas that I, that I think about when, when I think about safety. One of them is what you might call robustness, which is, you know, the problem that you have when, you know, you train a, you know, machine learning system like a neural network on some, you know, problem like, you know, speech recognition or self-driving cars. And then you, you put it to work in some, actual context and you know the distribution of inputs that you're you're facing changes in some way for instance the change in the accent you know the change in the speech accents the change in conditions of a, of a self-driving car or if you have a reinforcement learning agent exploring the environment what it sees changes so dealing with that and we've done a little bit on that we've done kind of more on sort of the the second thing which is what we call kind of like alignment with human goals so, you know, I think a big concern, particularly as AI systems get more and more powerful, is making sure that, you know, the AI systems have a sophisticated high-level understanding of what humans want them to do. And that, you know, we can already see examples today where AI systems, you know, kind of, it's much easier to have a simple goal than it is to have a complex goal. And I can get, in, get into a little more detail of why that's true for today's AI systems. And that kind of really sets the stage for systems to kind of go off and kind of maniacally pursue very kind of pathological, simple goals. And I think we should instead have AI systems that are as good at understanding what humans want them to do as they are at accomplishing what, you know, whatever tasks they've decided it's, it's, it's important to do. I think one of the best examples of that was from, I think it was some of the initial work that, that you did with Google on this. 
where the example was you've got a robot robotic housekeeper and you tell yeah. it to clean the room. It's yep. Like you don't want the robot sweeping all the dust under the rug. Yeah, right? yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of an example of, of what, what we call, or uh, this term from economics actually, Goodhart's Law, which is that once a metric becomes a target, it ceases to be a good metric. What that means is if you have a way of kind of passively measuring something, it seems good, but then if you optimize it really hard, you might get something that you know that 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 you don't expect. So so actually, you I mean, know, but isn't that all we're doing in AI is like optimizing it around a, really, a metric really hard? Yeah, this is, and that's I, the problem. I'm not, yeah, I'm not not going to argue with that. So we, we actually have since I came to OpenAI, we got kind of an even more vivid example of this that we got to occur in an actual AI system. So you know we were we were kind of playing with training simple video games, and you know we had this this boat race game where you know you're trying to complete a course with a boat. And the only kind of easy way we have of measuring progress, again, the only simple way we have of measuring progress is it gets these points when it knocks down these targets along the course. You know, so kind of naively looking at it, you know, it's something like, well, you know, it has to, it has to knock down these targets to complete the course. So, uh, okay, we're, you know, we're going give it, to give it trainer reinforcement learning system, give it points for knocking down the targets. And so, great, it'll complete the course. And then I just, I just, you know, I just set it in motion, didn't do anything for, you know, 24 hours. And then I, when I came back and I looked at it, the thing was going around in circles because it found this lagoon where it could just get the maximum possible density of points. And, you know, I remember uh, saying that example. Of course, you can say, well, I don't know, you, you get what you asked for. The game was just broken. But right. I think the difficulty is that the mapping between what we think we're likely to get when we set the training process in motion and what we actually get, it's very discontinuous. It's not you know, mysterious or magical or anything, you do indeed get what you ask for. But what worries me is this kind of, you know, very, very unpredictable mapping between here's what we think we're trying to get a system to do. And here's what the system actually actually ends up doing. And in retrospect, of course, it made sense that it that it did that. But perspective predictability is a property that I'd like our, our systems to have and that I, I believe they currently don't have. Mm -hmm. So one of the first things that you did around this research was to publish a paper. Again, it's the same paper I'm referring to with, I think it was in partnership with Google and mm -hmm. another organization, mm -hmm. I forget the name of. You essentially outlined a set of rules, like, or do you think of them as rules or goals or? Kind of general general research areas. So, so just to make sure, there's kind of two kind of major papers that we did in the last about year and a quarter. The first one was I did while I was still at Google, and it was done in collaboration with Google, OpenAI, Stanford, Berkeley. And this was kind of this agenda paper that kind of outlined various directions right. for, for AI safety. And then more, more recently, about I think it was, what, three, three months ago now, we published this paper called Learning from Human Preferences, which was kind of our you know, research kind of attacking some, some subset of those, those problems. So it was kind of like that, that paper from a year ago was kind of the agenda doc that, that laid out. And that's uh, the one I'm referring yeah, to. We'll yeah, dig that, into the, the next one in okay, a sec. Okay. But maybe you can take a second to kind of, if you remember, like run yep. through the, those yeah. points in the agenda yeah. because they're almost like, you know, in some way, is it fair to think of them as like Asimov's new laws for the, the neural network a, age a, or a, something a little, like that? A little bit, yeah. I mean, they're in a sense tr trying to solve the same problem, although it's less things a specific machine should should do as kind of areas of research where, you know, to address particular types of problematic behavior that, right. that could arise. There were kind of five research areas that, that we talked about, and they were kind of divided into, into two topics similar to this kind of, you know, robustness versus value alignment thing. So 
you know, the kind of the schema we used was, you know, you, you, have, you have a machine learning system, you want it to do something, and something goes wrong, and it does something other than what, what you intended it to do. Where did things go wrong? Things could go wrong because you had the wrong objective function, and you optimized it really hard. Or things could go wrong because you had the right objective function, but something about the way you trained it went wrong. So that would be like, you know, the self-driving car that's put in a new environment, or, you know, the kind of robot robot helicopter that, you know, is trying out behaviors and then destroys itself and, you know, that kind of wasn't in the algorithm. So, so on the first one, the problems we talked about, the first one was reward hacking. So this is kind of the thing we demonstrated in the boat race where, you know, you have, you have this, this measure, you optimize it really hard and you just, you get the wrong thing. The second one in that area that we talked about was what we call negative side effects. So the idea is, you know, the world's, the world's really big and basically it's, bit similar to reward hacking. Basically, any sim- simple objective that I can come up with probably refers to, you know, a v- very small set of things, right? So if I ask you to move this chair, I'm implicitly not referring to just every other thing under the sun that, right. that, that could be in the world. And so... Right. By, Without breaking that window. Yeah. By, by, by default, I'm kind of like not specifying all this, all this common sense stuff. So, so you might say side effects are really bad by default in AI systems. And so yeah, that was that was kind of the second the second problem in that in that category. So those two are kind of like broad reasons why, you know, I picked out an objective function, seemed innocent, seemed good, and something went went very wrong with it. The third problem, which is kind of between the categories, is this thing we called scalable supervision, which, you know, we we dealt dealt with that some in, in the later paper, which is, you know, even even if I know, you know, if I if I were there for everything an AI system did, even if I could coach it and tell it to do the right thing. If I could supervise every decision that it made, you know, make sure it never got out of my sight, never did anything, I don't really have the bandwidth to do that. How do I handle situations where I kind of know what I want the AI system to do, but I have very, very limited, it's, it's not feasible for me to have more than limited interaction with it. How do I handle that? that situation. So those were the three on the kind of like, you know, how do I get the right objective function? And then I have the right objective function. How do I how do I make sure something bad doesn't happen? The two problems were safe exploration. So safe exploration is the idea that, you know, I have some objective function like fly a helicopter. And even if that's right, even, even if I've set my system up in a way so that if I give it enough time, learns how to fly the helicopter right, in the real world, if I have a robot helicopter and it crashes, maybe it breaks and it is never able to fly again. Yeah. So I have this it can kind get of expensive, if, yeah. you know, at the very least. Yeah, you have what's called an asymptotic guarantee that you eventually get the right behavior, but it doesn't help you if you die before <laughs> before you get you get to the asymptotic limit. And you know, so that's that's an area that's it's gotten some attention in in machine learning in machine learning already. But I think as with many things, you know, kind of neural nets and kind of very powerful policies and new tasks have just come along in the last three or four years. And so the safe exploration literature is, you know, just kind of catching up to this. And so one of the things we were saying in the paper was, you know, there's, there, there's an urgency to making sure that, you know, the safety, the work on safety issues catches up with the work in other areas that's kind of, kind of hurtling ahead. Right. And we kind, of, we kind of already seen it. I mean, the, and one example I give is, you know, at OpenAI, we had this tool called Universe we were using for a while that lets you basically, you know, have a reinforcement learning system that connects to the web and has as its kind of actions and abilities seeing the screen, moving the cursor, and clicking on, that, on, on anything. Reinforcement learning systems, when, they, when you initialize them, tend to explore randomly. So the, the first time I ever trained a reinforcement learning system on Universe, it immediately opened up Chrome, right-clicked, 
opened the Chrome Developer Tools kit, um, <laughs> changed the code in there, closed it, crashed Chrome, and caused some kind of segmentation fault on my computer. The first That's time, just the, the you know, just just random behavior. So if if your environment is is complicated enough, you really really have to think about these issues. Yeah. You know, I could say the same thing about you know Google's Google's done some work on I think it's it's well known now optimizing data centers and you know using reinforcement learning to to optimize data center energy usage and you know of course there there's some knobs you could turn there that would break the data centers and so that is an issue that I think they've had to think about as well. Right. And then kind of the last issue was this distributional shift thing, which you know I've kind of alluded to a number of times, and you know has has to do with you know. The environment in your self-driving car changes, or you know, the you train your your speech system on one accent and you you change it to to another accent. One situation in which it came up was the infamous Google gorilla incident. You know, Google Photos tagged some some African American individuals as gorillas, and it was kind of a problem with the training set that you know the the training set had been had been weighted towards Caucasian individuals, and so uh, you know it got confused. It had no idea what what racism was about, or, or or any of these things. So here, failures have kind of already happened, and how how can we better about be better about machine learning systems, kind of knowing knowing what they don't know? Yeah. So that's kind of the overview of the the problems. And so the the second paper is one that's kind of diving into kind of the first few of these problems? Yeah, yeah, a couple couple of the first problems. So, you know, as with most things, we wrote, we wrote this kind of grand, grand agenda, and then we were like, oh, you know, we have so many ideas for how we could work on any of these. Uh, which, which should we start on? So the thing we eventually settled on was, you know, the kind of the reward hacking and, and scalable supervision stuff, having, having the, wrong, the wrong objective function. And, you know, with, with that, what we wanted to think about was, well, if you're trying to learn an objective function that's in line with what humans would want, then you should probably learn that objective function straight from humans, right? Because, uh, you know, if you have some kind of hard-to-explain aesthetic thing that, you know, that it's hard to encode into a system, instead of trying to encode it, you kind of let the human be the teacher, right? And in some sense, whenever we do supervised learning, we're doing that a little bit. You know, a human has to label all the images to tell us, well, you know, this is, this is what a duck is, this is what an ostrich is. But it hasn't been done very much in the setting of reinforcement learning, and kind of that's the setting that you know I think has both the most promise and that we should worry worry the most about, right? With Are the, you saying letting the human be the teacher necessarily by observation or by the human communicating a set of rules? By the human communicating. So I'll kind of explain a little bit how it works and how how we set it up in our paper. So for those who who don't know, the the usual setup with reinforcement learning is you know you have kind of an agent that's interacting in an intertwined way in, in, with, an, with an environment. And, you know, you have some notion of reward. So, you know, in, in the deep mind system that played, played Go, it's, you know, did you win or, or did you lose? In Atari, it's the score. And because you're training this system, you know, by trial and error for, you know, many millions of, of iterations through, it's actually very important in the way we currently train the system to have a kind of programmatically evaluable reward function, right? So, you know, with Go, if I had to have a human look at the end of every game and say, did you win or did you lose, it would be very hard, right? It's, it's very important that I can just write a little script that says, yep, I have more territory than you, therefore I won. You have more territory than me, therefore you won. And so, in general, these systems are trained without much human, human intervention because there isn't time for it. And what that means is that the goals have to be something you can write in a simple program. And so the way we changed this was, you know, what if you have a human every once in a while give some feedback on 
what the right goals are and whether the system is behaving in the way that it should behave. So the idea is, you know, with my reinforcement learning system, I take out the reward function and I replace it with a, like, like a model of what the right thing to do is that is trained from a human. So concretely, the way it works is, you know, I have my reinforcement learning system. It starts out by acting randomly, as all reinforcement learning systems do. Yep. And then every once in a while, I take two clips of its behavior, just two randomly selected clips, give them to a human, and the hu human takes a look at them and says, okay, this is a little more like what I want than that. And, you know, the human has in mind some behavior that it wants okay. the AI system to, to engage in. At the beginning, neither, neither of the two video clips is going to be particularly good. But, you know, the human's like, yeah, this is a little more like, like what I want. Then, you know, the AI system has kind of a reward predictor that it, it trains that, that models the human choices. It tries to come up with a reward that's consistent with what the human chooses. It goes off and optimizes that for a while. Then it presents the human with two more video clips. And the human says, this is better than that. Updates the system's model. And then the system goes off and, you know, plays around in the environment and tries to achieve that goal better. So instead of kind of careening off you know, optimizing a particular goal really hard, you have this interplay where the system optimizes a goal, comes to the human and says, am I going in the right direction? The human, you know, reinforces it or corrects it, and then it optimizes some more. And so via this interplay, you can make sure that you're kind of gradually training a system that stays in the direction the human wants it to go, while at the same time, you know, every time the human interacts, they're kind of imparting, you know, a little piece of what they have in mind. To, to the AI system. So can I jump in with a couple yeah. of questions here? So if the, if the only source of you know, data for the system to optimize around is the input it's getting from the human, yep. like what's it doing between the times that it's getting input from the human? And like, does it work if you just compress that and take it out? Yeah. No, it actually doesn't because if you kind of think about, you know, so maybe may good to ha have an example. So let's say you have a video game where you're kind of trying to shoot spaceships and keep them from shooting you. So there's two different parts to it, right? There's understanding that the goal of the game is to shoot the spaceships and not be shot by enemy spaceships. And there's, there's the actual mechanical dexterity to find the spaceships, shoot them, and avoid them. Uh, um, so it can still learn how to do that stuff. Yeah, so, so basically what the system needs to do is it needs to figure out from you what its goal should be, namely shooting the spaceships. And as it figures out that goal, then it needs to, on its own, you know, practice in the environment in order to learn how to achieve that goal. In practice, it's a little bit more of an interplay. You know, it, first it understands that you know, it should be avoiding these shots that are coming down, and then it kind of goes off and optimizes that, and then it, then it gives you some, some trajectories where it avoids the shots but doesn't actually score any points, and you're like, oh, this isn't any good, and then every once in a while it accidentally scores a point, and you're like, yeah, yeah, you should do more of that. Then it kind of figures out, oh, I need to not just avoid the shots, I need to actually shoot, shoot the enemies. Yeah. And then, then it takes some additional time to figure out how to do that. So it's, it's an interplay between, you know, the system learning what you want and the system learning how to achieve what you want. And kind of that's, that's why there's that interplay. So, you know, you only ever see about, you know, in our paper, it was about 0.1% of what the system actually does. We trained it on, you know, tasks like Atari. You know, Atari is a common benchmark. Atari games are a common benchmark for uh, for reinforcement learning. So, you know, we we trained it on we trained it on some Atari games, and the human only had to see about 0.1 percent of what the actual agent saw, which is good because the agent sees, you know, days of experience or so, and we, we don't have time for, to you know to have to have humans see see all of that. Okay. What is the human evaluating? And you know, in a simple game like the spaceship game you described. Yeah. 
I'm imagining what is the human evaluating the two frames on? Like, is it just looking at the score? Is it a proxy for you know some way yeah. for it to detect so, the score? So, so we blank out the that? score because it's a little bit of a confounder. But you know, we just we just say to a human, we're kind of in, in some ways trying to develop a pipeline such that you could take a task and actually farm it out to humans who understand yeah. the task. So we blank out the score, and, and you know, we just we gave it to some contractors and we said, this is a game where, you know, you're trying to shoot enemy spaceships and avoid getting shot by enemy spaceships. Okay. You know, you're going to see two video clips and, you know, click on the video clip that you think does a better job of that, that particular So goal. they're video, then not still. So that, that helps. Yeah, they're, they're video clips that are a couple seconds long. And so, you know, for many tasks, we're able to get, get a good sense of that. We were also able to do tasks where, you know, there's no... No, so for Atari, you know, there is a score that you could learn from, and our point was that you don't need it, you could learn without it. There are also tasks, particularly kind of, you know, tasks, you know, like sim- that simulated robot animals do, where, you know, you want them to perform some trick that it's really hard to describe mathematically, but that a human can recognize. So we, we taught kind of like little, little simulated robot walkers to do kind of back flips and front flips. You know, we taught like walkers with two legs to kind of like balance on their hind legs or, you know, do ball- ballerina moves or, or things like that. And so, you know, the, the exciting thing is usually if you want to train something with reinforcement learning, you have to say, okay, what's the behavior I want? How do I write a mathematical function that assesses whether that behavior was right or not? Whereas here it's just, okay, what's the behavior I want? Let me look at some video clips and, and try and reinforce that yeah. behavior, which I think, you know, it requires more human labor, but particularly if we farm it out, it allows you to do a much wider variety of tasks. Yeah. Have you looked at, um, it sounds like you're pulling two random clips. Have you explored like selecting the clips based on maximal distance or information or something? Yep. Yep. No, that's that's a really great question. So we actually did include that in the paper and it, it, it helped a little. So we actually, instead of having kind of a single predictor of the of, of the, the human the human preferences from the data, one of the things we tried was having an ensemble of three predictors that are trained on subsets of the data. So this is kind of a you know, common statistical validation technique. And then you look at cases where different predictors disagree with each other about which clip which clip they think the human would think was better. And that disagreement is a good proxy for, oh, this is a hard case. This is a hard case to figure out. So then we kind of mine for hard cases and preferentially present the human with hard cases instead yeah. of easy cases, right? So in the spaceship example, it would be like, you know, you've really, you know, let's say, you know, let's say the agent has really figured out that, you know, if you get shot by the ship, it's, it's, it's really bad, right? right? But then there are some intermediate cases where, you know, the ship's laser is shooting at you and it almost hits you versus the one where, where it actually does hit you. And like, you know, maybe your predictor hasn't quite, hasn't quite figured out the difference between those then. Yeah. And so you really want to show those to the human so the human can, can disambiguate. And we found that, that that indeed did speed speed things up, you know, on more tasks than it than it slowed things down. It wasn't a huge improvement, and we're actually looking for kind of more more intelligent ways of doing this because, you know, I mean that that's really getting into having systems be active and ask us questions about the things they're confused about yeah. instead of receiving passive information about what we think they're they're confused about. So, you know, I think I think in the future that's gonna be a big part of it. That, you know, we want such teaching to be a dialogue between, you know, the machine and us, just like it would be a dialogue between a teacher and a student or a parent and a child or, or, or something like that. Now, the other interesting thing that jumped out at me in describing and in, in you describing that last example is like the 
ambiguity from the human's perspective. Like if the laser just misses the ship, is that like, oh, bad because the ship was too close to the laser? Oh, that's awesome. The ship was able to like avoid the laser, you know, that yeah, it was yeah. really close. Like, there, have, have you characterized that part of the problem at all? Yeah, I mean, I think there were some kind of technical issues we, we ran into, which is, you know, how do you define goal of the task, right? So another example, like, like the example you gave is, you know, what if, what if your spaceship just in a particular few second clip doesn't, doesn't encounter any enemy spaceships at all? So in other words, it doesn't see anything. There's nothing, there's nothing it has to do. Is that good behavior because it did what it was supposed to do, which is nothing? Right. Or is it bad behavior because it's worse than a clip where it actually shot, shot the spaceship? In the formal reward formalism, you're basically supposed to say that that's worse behavior because you know it, it didn't it didn't get the reward as opposed right. to the behavior where there was a, was a ship and, and did get the reward. But of yeah. course, if I'm a human thinking about it, it's it's kind of it's kind of ambiguous. And so we kind of tried to give the instructions in you know in in such a way as to kind of you know resolve resolve those ambiguities. You know, we we want we wanted to focus on you know can we incentivize this behavior with clear one or two sentence instructions. But I think, you know, and, and the technical description of it is, you know, there's a, there's a difference between the reward, which is the immediate reward you get, the return, the advantage, which is how good a particular action is. So, you know, which of these technical concepts in reinforcement learning do we actually want humans to, to reinforce? And there's a question of how easy is it for humans to understand these different settings yeah. versus how much does it does it help the algorithm? So these are all kind of things that, like, you know, have been explored a, a little bit in the literature, but again, you know, never, never with the level of difficulty of tasks. So this is kind of one of the areas that, that we want to explore more and we consider really unexplored, right? This was really just a first paper and, you know, all these are like really great questions that we've, you know, we kind of ran into and thought about some, but you definitely haven't fully answered. Mm -hmm. And so is the plan to, like you kind of peeled off two of those, is the plan to go even deeper on those two or to peel off another yeah, one? Yeah, so, you know, I think this direction we're pretty excited about. And so I think we're going to do a lot of things, you know, that kind of follow up on this human preference learning. You know, we see applications to robotics, tasks like, you know, tying particular types of, of knots in rope. You know, it's, it's another task where the reward function is very hard to describe and people try and specify it, but I think that that may be the weak link. So, you know, maybe maybe we can do th things like that, things that physical robots do do in the world, things like dialogue system. You know, Microsoft made this dialogue system called Tay that ended up kind of spewing <laughs> racist nonsense. You know, whether whether a comment is offensive or not is is precisely the kind of high level aesthetic concept that you can't learn really well with a simple objective function. You know, so could you train a, a restricted dialogue system to, you know, to understand what, you know, racist or sexist or offensive comments are and never make them. You know, some of that is simple. It's just not using certain words. But, you know, but the concept of something being offensive is, 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 also, is also more subtle, right? I can say something that, you know, that doesn't use any offensive words, but the content of what I'm saying might, might, might still be offensive. So, you know, can we, can we train a system to understand those, those distinctions? Actually, even things like safe exploration, what it means for exploration to be safe, Maybe that's something that we could learn through human human preference learning. There's been Maybe a lot of, example of that. So there's there's been a lot of work on kind of learning learning to learn, and so you could imagine kind of learning to learn safely. So if I'm a human and I am learning to play an Atari game, right? You could think of copying what the human does, but you could also think of copying the human's process of exploring the Atari game, right? And there are different ways to explore, right? I can explore recklessly doing a lot of things with trial and error, or I can explore very carefully, making sure that nothing bad ever happens. For instance, 
if I'm a human, you know, remote controlling a, a helicopter, I'm not going to just try random things. I'm going to, you know, kind of gingerly try a few things at first that you know, don't make the helicopter crash, particularly if I think that it'll break if it crashes, you know, and then, then I'll kind of gradually get more bold. And so can we, can we train machine learning systems to learn in the same safe way that, that humans learn? And could we, could we do that by giving them feedback or examples or demonstrations of how, of how humans learn? And, you know, and then, then can we solve that, that problem that way? We've also thought about kind of uh, richer, richer forms of human feedback. So right now it's just like is left better or right is better. Sometimes when I'm training these, you know, one of those systems, I'm just like, I want to, to tell you that that thing you did is really, really good. And right. all I can do is just just give that one left click. But like, really, really, this was the great thing you did. And well, I, when I, you're I, giving the example of the models doing backflips and things like that, I was thinking like, you need the Olympic panel with the tens yep, and the nines yep, and the eight point yep, fives yep. and all. So that. scalar having a scalar dial is one thing. Ultimately, I'd just like to be able to give linguistic feedback. I'd li- I, you know I'd like to be say on this one, nice job, do that again, or nice job, but go a little to the right. You know, nice job, but that's only the first part of the move. After you do this, you need to do a flip. Right. And, you know, currently our natural language processing isn't really up to that task, yeah. but that's kind of a kind of long-term goal we'd work towards. And, you know, the real long-term vision would be you have an AI system that is persistent in the world, is doing things on your behalf, right. and then you make sure that it always does the right things instead of the wrong thing by this continuous dialogue between you yeah. and it, where you teach it what you want it to do, and, you know, it, it gives you information and executes the things that it understands that, you know, that you want it to do. And we've been talking mostly about explicit feedback. Are you also yeah. thinking about like the explicit versus implicit feedback might play into this? What do you, what do you mean by implicit feedback? So for example, you know, maybe the, the Tay example, in all of the examples we've been talking about, you know, you, you are telling the system, you know, this is good, this is bad. And we started yep. with kind of this binary, you know, good, bad. And we talked about, you know, scalar, continuous, you know, degrees of goodness and badness. But it's still like you're telling it explicitly. And I guess I'm wondering if there are ways to either, you know, maybe I'm thinking also of like some of the emotional intelligence, like yeah, kind of yeah. pick up from your reaction. Like, uh, yeah, someone someone reacts in a way where they don't like what I'm doing, but you know they're not going to explicitly say, you know, that was that was, that was a bad. And thing I guess to at do. some point, you know, it's all it's all numbers, yeah. you know, feeding into some model. So somewhere. yeah, so I mean, I think I think the natural language feedback is a little bit getting it. It's kind of starting to get at that, right? Where you know, I mean, if you know, people have kind of you know. People have ways of, you know, like politely disagreeing or politely giving giving negative feedback, and those are, you know, patterns that that a machine learning system could, in principle, pick up on. At the same time, you know, I think in the end, if we ever want something like that to happen, we're going to have to go kind of beyond just receiving feedback from humans to actually having models of humans. So a human says something, and the AI system says, "Okay, here's my picture of the human, and here are my hypotheses about why the human would say that particular thing." And, you know, one of them is that it doesn't, doesn't want me to do this thing. It wants me to do something else. And so, you know, that, that gets to kind of, you know, modeling of other minds, right? Theory of mind is something we talk about a lot, a lot in neuroscience. So, you know, this is, this is one of these things that I think AI systems will be able to get AI systems to do that once they have some kind of rudimentary theory of mind. You know, but and, even and, you and, saying that kind of makes you think of all the complexities, like the model trained yeah. on the Brit could not be yep. used to interact with yep. an American, right? Yep, yep. <laughs> But on the other hand, you know, simple, simple animals have, you know, theory of mind, right? If you have, if you have pets, uh, you know, dogs can do this, even mice can do this. 
they have very complicated pictures of you know how how the humans around them work. They they need to in order to you know in order order to survive. They need to know when right. humans are going to feed them. They need to know when you know humans humans are going to be going to be unhappy with them. So you know I think there's some hope of you know building systems that have some understanding of that short of full human level intelligence. Yeah. yeah. Oh, cool, cool. Anything else that you guys are working on that you wanted to? to talk about? Yeah, you know, I think we're going in several directions with kind of the human human feedback stuff. You know, we have a kind of small team so far, but we're growing, so there's a lot of kind of projects starting that are either either offshoots of this or kind of different different directions on safety, but they're all pretty early, so there's not not so much to say to say yet, but you know, I'm hoping that uh, that you know, in in a few months we'll kind of have another batch of results that are kind of follow-ups on the human feedback stuff. And also, kind of new new directions. Nice, safety. nice. There's a a website that's like ten thousand hours or something like that that like looks at you know these. I think looks pretty broadly at what they think are like career opportunities. Oh, this is eighty thousand hours. 80, I actually did hours. a podcast so with like them. Under um, underestimated it significantly. <laughs> the I think it's 80, eighty thousand hours is the length of a career. I think that's why that's I think that's why they chose that number. So yeah, and like um, their top career or their like top opportunity is AI safety. Yeah. So, I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't have any opinions on like, <laughs> yeah, I, I would never claim that, that, you know, what, what I'm doing is like the most impactful thing you could, you could possibly do. You know, I, so did a podcast with them. You know, I would, I would say instead that, you know, the, the world has a lot of problems and, you know, and, 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 and a lot of issues and, uh, you know, unfortunately like multiple incredibly serious issues. But, you know, one, one thing that's, I think is, is true about, about AI safety is that, you know, if I if I look ahead to the next, you know, two decades or so, I believe it could be a really serious issue. And I believe that, you know, not not that many people are thinking about it seriously in the sense of doing actual technical work on it. You know, I think for a long time it was it was, you know, d- dismissed maybe with some some justification as kind of a kind of a crackpotty thing. You know, I think that that is that is starting to change. And so I, I actually see opportunity there in that there's this important problem that hasn't really been thought about in a careful enough way yet. And so, you know, to me, that creates an opportunity to work on a problem that's very important to the world that, you know, there, there aren't a giant number of smart people already kind of descending on it. And, you know, because there's been kind of less thought about it, you know, maybe, maybe by, by acting early, we can actually come up with, you know, we can actually come up with real solutions. So, so to me, that's, that's kind of my rationale for feeling that it's, you know, a high impact thing for me to work on, that it, it, it seems important and it seems like there aren't already 100,000 people working on it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Dario, thank you very much. Great yeah. to have you on the thanks. show. Thanks again for inviting me. All right, everyone. That's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for your continued feedback and support. For more information on Dario or any of the topics covered in this episode, head on over to twimlai.com slash talk slash 75. To follow along with our OpenAI series, visit twimlai.com slash openai. Of course, you can send along your feedback or questions via Twitter to at twimlai or at Sam Charrington or leave a comment right on the show notes page. Thanks once again to NVIDIA for their support of this series. To learn more about what they're doing at NIPS, visit twimlai.com slash NVIDIA. And of course, thanks once again to you for listening and catch you next time.